welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us here today. Katie, we'll start with you again. What's happening on the farm? What's happening in your life? What's the news? Well, that woodpecker is back out here, Arlene. So if I lose track, that's why. For our listeners, I have a bunch of bird feeders that hang on the porch just outside my office, which is a nice little reason to look away from the computer screen. Last year, I ended up at the optometrist thinking that I had some sort of horrible eye problem, and she said it was just from not blinking enough when I'm staring at my computer screen all day. So I hung a, a series of bird feeders to have something to look at that's further away, but now I spend a lot of time looking at the bird feeders. And getting slightly distracted. Or majorly distracted, yes. But you're blinking. Um, but I am blinking. So that's good. With my history of melanoma, there is a risk of melanoma developing behind your eye, which is obviously a very, very bad thing because it's yeah. not easily detectable. So I get a lot more vision screenings and anything like eye pain gets addressed a lot faster, which has its perks because yeah. you know, I can get into the eye doctor really quickly. Downside, it's hard to tell when something is just eye strain or when it's like, Bad. Yeah, yeah, something you really need to look at. Yeah. Jim let the ram lambs out into the yard this morning, into the, the barnyard. So we've got a, a roving band of teenage boys causing problems out there. They're very happy. How's um, the fencing holding up? Don't say it, Arlene. <laughs> That's a bad question no, to ask. Don't say it? it. Yeah. Other than that, things are good. The trip to Chicago was amazing. I assume you went without your family, correct? Without my family with a friend who was also without her family. We went to the Shed Aquarium, which was, I'm guessing, a lot more fun without kids. We're planning to go next year and take the kids, at which point hopefully they'll be old enough to enjoy it. And, you know. Just a basic, different experience without kids, right? Still yeah, fun. Yeah. We went on an architecture boat tour in the rain, went to the aquarium, basically did fuck all else. Ate a lot of donuts. A lot of donuts. It was amazing. That sounds I, delightful. I thoroughly recommend it. I had no idea how good it would feel to be in a place where nobody expected anything from me. That was very nice. Anyway, yeah. how are things in your world, Arlene? Things are good. We are going through a bit of a heat wave at the moment, which is a bit hard on people and cows, but you can almost see the crops growing in the field. So good good for them, I guess. But uh, yeah, the fans are definitely cranked up high in the barn and we're, we're doing all right. You know, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. I think we're probably in a fairly similar climate to you. So I mean, it's the, yeah, that, that humid weather where you walk outside and you can just feel yourself breathing. Yeah, it's so, anytime you get out of the shower and you feel like you're actually getting damper through the day than you were straight out of the shower is kind yeah. of a... Yeah, there's, there's definitely been some multi-shower days for sure. Yeah, yuck. And 
like I mentioned last week, I spent a few days at a cottage with the extended family. So that was fun. And we're entering a new stage where, so between my siblings and myself, we have 13 kids and they're between the ages of 17 and seven. So we, we packed them all in, in a fairly short amount of time. So things were super chaotic for a while, you know, when we had lots of babies and toddlers, but now, you know, we can, we were, we, my parents had rented multiple cottages. So the adults all slept in one, and then there was kind of the middle-aged kids in another, and a bunch of the teens slept in the other one. And it's an amazing feeling to be able to, you know, get up in the morning and not have woken up through the night or not be terrified that someone is going to drown at every moment because they can all swim. I mean, we're still keeping an eye on everybody, but, you know, no one's in floaties anymore. There's no toddlers that are going to, you know, topple into the water and, and not be able to get out. So, yeah, it's a whole whole different world we're in. I mean, now we're also juggling kids with jobs and, and that kind of stuff. So it's different logistic-wise, but it's definitely a, a different experience. And it's nice to see all the cousins hanging out and getting along for the most part. I mean, all the cousins got along. Of course, there was, you know, the usual sibling fighting, but my sister and I were actually talking about making up like a weekly kids sibling challenge. So ways to make fighting more challenging and entertaining. So some of her suggestions were, you know, every every insult has to rhyme or, I mean, you're only allowed to talk in a, say, a British accent, use a foreign language. So those types of things. So if you have any suggestions for, uh, there was an exercise challenge. So every time you fight, you have to do you know a number of burpees or mine actually was inspired by yesterday it was my recording on thursday my birthday was on wednesday and i took my kids to a local beach we've got lots of lakes and rivers in our area so we went to one that was a little further away for a change of scenery and so i was saying that it was you know nice to go somewhere new to fight with each other so you know one of the challenges could also be like you know you're on vacation you might as well fight while you're there I suggest, though, Arlene, that you could add a cleaning challenge to that, that they can only fight while they're cleaning the house. Yeah, you know? or doing chores in the barns. So yeah, something. Get them, get them to work. <laughs> yeah, you know? do an activity while fighting. Yeah, you know, in the barn, I feel like maybe you're more at risk of shit throwing, but that's, eh, that's how they learn. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to get dirty anyway. Yeah. There is that. We we had a fight going this morning because the girl child was upset about something and the boy child was trying to cheer her up and she was mad that he was talking to her and he was mad that she was mad that he was talking to her when he was trying to cheer her up. It was very much drama. Circular. Um, yeah. Yes. They're very sweet. And he's trying his best. He really is. Yeah. They're they are very sweet, but they're still four and five. So, you know, take yeah. that how you will. And then we had another um, show this past weekend, went to a local small town fair and brought a few heifers to show in their open show. And we reached another new milestone, which I didn't realize was a milestone, but I was helping out with the show string and the boys were kind of done with what they were doing. And so they, it was a pay one price fair. So they already had their bracelets on and they asked if they could go to the Midway. And we said, yes, just stay together. And they went and they went and did rides. And when they were done, they came back and it was delightful. And I did not go on any spinny rides. 
or bumper cars to hurt my back or anything. So that is a that's a new milestone that I didn't know was a thing that I was looking forward to. But now when it's our fair in a couple of weeks, I might actually, you know, go on a ride or two with them. But we'll see. For this time, it worked out. That's an amazing milestone. I fully support that. Yeah. No spinny rides that day. Yeah. And this is going to be our last episode for a little bit, right, Katie? Our last new episode. Last yeah. new, well, yeah, last update. Because yes. we're yes. going to do, for the next, for the weeks of August, we're going to rebroadcast some episodes. So you're not going to hear any updates from us for four weeks. So we're going to have to actually take some notes about what we've done in the last month. Because I'm not sure. Mine's gonna just going to be the same, Arlene. Same thing over and over Got again. distracted by birds. Kids <laughs> okay. fought about useless shit. Animals ran away. I mean, there yeah, you go. That's animals. what's going to happen in August. Okay. There you go. Well, I might have a few other things. I don't know. Yeah, well, All these new milestones know. are coming up that I didn't know about. So anyway, don't miss us too much. We're going to rebroadcast some of our early episodes in case you're a new listener and you haven't heard them. Or if you've been with us from the beginning, what you could do is maybe share them with a friend who think you think would enjoy them. So we will... Go ahead, Katie. Arlene, am I correct that our first new episode back will be the first episode of season two, a.k.a. Yes. the first annual anniversary episode? Yeah. yeah. With a uh, have... special co- co-host, co-interviewer? Somebody <laughs> yeah, else interviewed us. I don't know what a to guest, call that. Yeah, a guest, a guest interviewer. She's a guest host. Thank yeah, you, Arlene. She's our guest Thank host. You for helping and we are the that. guests. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we will see you back here in a month's time and it'll be our first anniversary and we hope everyone has a super summer and you enjoy our redo episodes and yeah, keep sharing. We'll still be active on social media and things like that. And we are really looking forward to booking lots of new guests for the fall. So here is our guest for this week. Today, talking to Rachel Conway, who is from Francis Creek Ranch in Northern California. Rachel, we start each of our interviews with the same question. This is the way to introduce yourself to our listeners, and we ask, what are you growing? So this can cover crops, livestock, families, businesses, and all manner of other things. So Rachel, what are you growing? So we have livestock. I personally have goats. Dairy goats and the meat goats are kind of my pet project in the family. And then the my it's my parents and I that have the ranch and my parents also have beef cattle and all different kinds of birds yeah that pretty much summarizes it specific on the different types of birds so my my dad is a bird guy and my mom is an enabler on his bird habit so they have like <laughs> fancy show pigeons and she just has laying chickens just for herself but he will get into like breeding stock for different kinds of fancy birds we have a couple pairs of these pet shamo chickens that are like thigh high on me and they look like medieval dinosaurs and they just follow my son around the yard oh i need to look those up And they'll also, they have breeding pairs of parrots. My mom will hand raise baby parrots and stuff. So not so much on the livestock end, but just they, they're, they really enjoy their birds. Sure. Those are really of all some, shapes and sizes. Uh, I just Googled the Shamo chickens and they are very strange looking. 
they're they're the coolest chickens though i mean he got a couple pair they were called co shamos and the co's are smaller they're only like 10 inches tall maybe 12 it's been a while since he had them and he put a couple just in his pigeon flight for a weekend and the mice that would go in the pigeon flight and their their little beaks are just like these hammers that would wait they would hover by the mouse holes the way cats do and wait for them to come out. And I have never seen a cat that is as efficient as the co-shamo chickens were. And the big shamo chicken has been trying. There's a couple of rats out in the goat barn and he is determined to catch the rats, which is not the purpose of chickens, but it's surprising and very useful. But yeah, that's an added bonus. So you also mentioned a son. <laughs> I'm assuming yes. you're growing, growing him as well. How old is your little guy? I am, so he will be two in September. I was going to laugh if he was like 17 or early and you just referred to him as the little guy. <laughs> I mean, I will probably still, hopefully not in front of his friends. I fully accept I will be that embarrassing mom where he's like, mom, that's just going to be me. <laughs> yeah, I've got two, two that are taller than me now and one who's getting very close. But yeah, they're still they're still my little people. Yeah, always. Yeah. And yes, my parents are crazy bird people. Originally, they were crazy horse people. I am the the crazy goat lady. That's just kind of how we roll. And we all do the beef cattle together. They, my grandparents had them. They've been on the ranch forever. And they're just kind of that historic part of things. And how many cattle and how many goats are we talking about? Um, Just so we get like a fair (laughs) understanding of how crazy it is. The, the cattle are pretty minor. So when we, the ranch we're on was originally my grandparents. And then when my grandparents passed away, it was divided between my mom and her siblings. And in 2018, we purchased it. And so my parents and I are equal partners on the ranch. And there were the only cattle that were left then were my five fair cows from when I was in FFA in high school that were all like 14 the heifer calves back to back and we had like 30 head for a couple years and our fencing and rotating pastures was just not quite good enough so I cut way back last year and we're we're calving out like 20 this year which isn't bad and a few of them belong to 4-H kids because I'm I'm a 4-H child enabler that's my real role in the livestock industry I, I want kids to get in there and have fun and learn a lot and occasionally encourage them to make what their parents probably think are poor choices with expanding their livestock projects. Yeah, we're uh, we're enablers here too. So, okay, perfect. You know, we <laughs> we sell sheep and we haven't sold any cattle for breeding stock, but we certainly could. And I say that there's like the 4H FFA price, and then there's the everybody else price. Exactly. And then there's the if you show up two hours later than you said you were going to be, and are paying in my ass price, and that price yes. is a lot higher than the price for anybody else. Is. I got things to do, you know? Right. Yes. I totally get that. Yeah. And how many goats do you have? The correct answer to that question is always too many. Fair enough. But the you... honest answer would be I, with the dairy goats, I typically have about 20 head, and my goal is to not be milking more than about 10 of them. In California, regulations with the dairy goats are really hard there's no sort of backyard or hobby type regulations so you have to be at this point to become a a dairy or do anything with your milk you have to be a grade a dairy you can't give milk to your neighbor you can't make cheese and give it to your neighbor you can't sell it as 
pet product, all you could do is make body products with it or sell to a company that makes body products, which we do. So we use goat milk for our household use. We raise all kinds of various different little creatures from calves and orphan goats and everything else on it to selling all of the extra to a local body product company and for a blessed acre farm. And the meat overgrown. There's there's 300 acres, and I'd say about 50 of them were visible, and the rest was just, I don't know how much time you spent on coastal Northern California, but the alders, the berry briars, and the nettles just sort of take over, and the goats are really good at dealing with all those. So our meat goats went from like 10 to probably 50, and they're, they're busy, they're working. What breeds of goats are you working with for both the, the dairy and the meat? We have boar goats for the meat goats, and I have a registered herd that I started with. I just kept what I And then with the dairy goats, I have Nubians and Lamanches. The Lamanches are like my major project. The, the Nubians are what I started with, and we still have a couple. I think I have five right now. And they're just kind of the cute, ditzy ones. They're, they're very clingy. I wouldn't want 50 of them, but five is fine. Yeah. They look pretty. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the Lamanches certainly seem to have a very different personality. Than they are all personality. Yeah. They're super mischievous. They're very smart. We, right now they're in horse stalls because that's the barn that my grandpa had. And they can't get to the gate latches. Old barn, it was just like standard livestock gates. Like you would feed cows and stuff in. And they could slide the boards on any of those gates. They could undo the latches, the clasps, even like a chain with a snap on both ends. They would sit there until they could get the double end snap open. And so we had one gate that was on our milking pen and it had six different latches on it. And typically they'd get like halfway through the latches and then get bored. So they, they didn't usually get out, but they're a little too smart for their own good. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. So, so they'd at least get half the work done by the time you needed to move them out of the pen anyway. Yeah. So Rachel, it sounds like you were obviously a 4-H and FFA kid was being involved in agriculture, always part of your vision for your, for your future. And are you able to be on the farm full time or do you have other work as well? As a kid, my dad trained racehorses in Southern California and I used to spend the summers with my grandparents in Ferndale. So the ranch was always as far back as I can remember, like that was the happy place. That was the I get to go hang out at the ranch all summer kind of thing. So I definitely got into 4-H and FFA because of how much I loved the animals and wanted to be there. In college and after dealing with my grandparents passing, and I don't know how much you guys have had to ever deal with like estates and whatnot, but it's super fun handling all the family members. I think I was probably the driving force behind the let's not give up and just sell it to make everybody happy. Let's figure out how to make this work so we can keep it. And yeah, it's just wanted. I do not get to be on the ranch full time. We probably have 20 years of neglected maintenance to catch up on. And that's going to take a while. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But I work as an environmental scientist for Fish and Wildlife right now. And that's my day job. So mm -hmm. I get to go home after work and milk and feed and just get through the routine everyday stuff. I work a 410, so Monday through Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are usually ranch days. Every so often we pack up and 
leave at two o'clock in the morning to go to a goat show and get home at midnight and then spend the rest of the weekend on the ranch. But that's, that's pretty much my life and I'm good with it. I really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. I know um, Rachel, I've said that estates and wills and that are the best reason I can see for appreciating that I'm an only child with a single parent. <laughs> what a shit show. You know, I don't know anybody, I don't think, where it's gone totally smoothly, no matter how well, you know, how good the planning is. And I didn't realize how messy they were. And then when we were dealing with it, everyone I talked to was like, oh man, we were all on the same page. And then after my mom passed away, it was like, nobody was on the same page anymore. And it made me feel like it was a pretty normal situation for most people. I'm an only child also, so I, I won't have to hopefully deal with that too much. Yeah, it it seems to be a pretty, at least in Midwest, there's a lot of families where, you know, half the family doesn't talk to the rest of the family anymore because of estates. And it's really too bad, but it is what it is, I guess. Yep. Agreed. Before we move on from the animals, I want to loop back to fancy pigeons because I did not know this was a thing. So (laughs) what are you doing with fancy? You said they're showing? They are showing them. So... The pigeon thing started when I was a little kid and my dad was training racehorses. One of the farms that it's one of the quarter horse ranches in Southern California. And they're one of the major breeders, trainers, all of that. The grandfather had homing pigeons and racing pigeons. And he also had some like performance ones that they're called tumblers and they'll fly in a circle as like a group. And then good ones will like all unanimously do somersaults in the air and then catch up to each other and kind of stop at the same point and then fly again and do more somersaults. And my dad just thought they were the coolest thing. And at the time we didn't really have any birds. He was super into tropical fish then. So I didn't realize I was probably seven that my dad was a super bird person. Like we had some pet birds and my mom hand raised baby canaries in our kitchen. I'm just making us sound crazier by the moment, but this is my life. Um, They sound adorable. This sounds a lot like my childhood. Little baby canaries were the coolest thing. Uh, They would like fly up to you and like snuggle in your neck and then they'd go sit on their little perch and sing. And yeah, I love them. But so then I was a lot older and we had the goats and I was doing the fortune of Bay stuff. And I want to say I was in high school. So I'm going to guess I was like 14 or 15. And my dad decided he was going to get these rolling pigeons. I was like, okay, whatever. More birds. It would be a big deal. He had lots of chickens for a while. And they were pretty cool. He had like 20 of them and they'd do their stuff. And he got rid of the ones that didn't roll as well and kept babies out of the ones that did and had a couple batches. And they went to some pigeon shows to like check them out and meet other pigeon guys. And I don't know if my dad has a short attention span or he's just very interested in everything, but like every six months to a year, he'd like get this new kind of pigeon. And sometimes it was because he just really liked people that had that kind. And they seemed like a lot of fun to work with and race things with and share genetics with and chat with. And other times it would just be because they were so cool. And he'll, he'll tell you how cool they are in this voice that like a seven or eight year old kid does when they find a really cool lizard or like bugs or something. Yeah, are they telling you about their favorite dinosaur and why? Exactly. My dad has not outgrown that stage. And so I, yeah, they have these fancy pigeons. And my mom decided that she liked going to the pigeon shows with him. And so he got her these, they're called frillbacks. And instead of having smooth feathers, they had like ringlets on their wings. And they were really cute. But it turned out they weren't very intelligent. And like she would hand raise them and they'd still not be friendly. So she got bored with those. And they got into these really tiny ones that are, like you weigh them in ounces and 
I don't know. They have lots of different kinds of pigeons. There's ones yeah. that are called king pigeons that look like foghorn like corn, but in pigeon form. And they're just like these big stout round and they like strut while they walk. You kind of pack them around like little footballs. I thought those ones were really cool. With so much selection. Now, do you have yeah. all the do you have all the pigeon books? We have the, a lot of pigeon books. I'm thinking of the kids ones, so like the Mo Willems, like don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Like, have, do you have that? We series? do not have any of those. Oh no. my gosh, you have to get them. They're so cute. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link. Out. But yeah, okay, Mo cool. Williams has a Mo Willems has a series of books, and they're a pigeon who wants to ride the bus, and the the person reading is supposed to tell the pigeon that he's not allowed. So okay. I think they would be perfect for your family. I'm sure that my dad would love reading those to my son. He already. My son isn't even two yet, and we have had two ponies dropped off for him. Is this a problem for other families? Like, does this happen to other people, or is it just us? Do you live in the same town as Cody and Thomas? I do. It sounds like it happened to them when okay. their little boy came home. He got, like, a ram and a couple show calves dropped off. Uh-huh. So yeah. I feel like this might just be your town. Our area. Okay. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Maybe. So we had two ponies dropped off and then one of the pigeon guys sent my son his starter set of pigeons that included his national champion from this year. And wow. so like my son start. had these, these four little pigeons and it was like, my, my son wasn't old enough to safely let him hold a pigeon by himself because he could squish it. Yeah. And like, just, he's, he's very, a little rough with things. And He's like, oh, it's okay. By the time he's big enough to appreciate them, you'll have dozens of them. And I am not a bird person. So now your dad's got some more pigeons too. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> and he, with your son's legacy. Yeah, he routinely like catches them and brings them out and lets my son pet them and play with them. And you'll you'll hear, oh no no, not like that. Be gentle. <laughs> okay, yeah, we're we're getting there. Yeah, but at least goats yeah. are a little more resilient to toddler petting. The goats are perfect, even the baby ones. He, my son is, I don't know, I have, he's my first one. And I hadn't been around that many of my friends' kids that had little boys until my son. And like Cody and Thomas's son is just a year and a few months older than mine. And he's this odd mix of adorably sweet and just so rough that I don't even know what to do with him because we had these first three baby goats born and he, one of them was bigger than the two siblings. And he just thought it was like the coolest thing. And he would, so they were dairy goats and we bring the dairy goats into the house right after they're born, dry them off, feed them colostrum and, and actually managed to touch them, but he thinks he's giving them kisses. So then as they were bigger, like they're three months old now and they drink off the bucket and they're significantly larger than my son is. And he will insist on being in the pen with them while they drink off the bucket and have their milk. And then as soon as they're done and they're all covered in milk foam, they're getting a little rambunctious too, or a lot. He has to kiss each one of them individually before he will leave the pen. Otherwise he like has a total meltdown. And now there's obviously a lot more baby goats because we're later in the year, but they're the first ones. So they all get individual kisses and the other baby goats he has to like wave to and say bye. But then last night, we have some that are, that pen's like, they're April babies. So they're about a month and a half old. He decided he wanted to ride them while they were drinking on the bucket. And he was like, well, but these, these aren't big enough for you to ride. And he was just really determined. And I 
I don't know, boys are an odd mix between adorably sweet and just a little bit destructive (laughs) that I hadn't experienced. That kind of just describes toddlers. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, Katie and I both have daughters as well who I would, I would say they have had similar characteristics probably. Okay. I would say that, so Rachel, I have a a five-year-old daughter and a four-year-old boy. And our daughter is definitely rambunctious Uh but our son is much more likely to squish things and he's the same way like he'll be you know I love you most ever I love you more than anything and then like actively try to kill you and like buddy like not at the same time it really sends mixed signals you know when you're like I love you most but you're also trying to choke me exactly he just can't do anything halfway like there is just no restraint of any sort for anything. So the one pony that was dropped off for us, it's a mini horse actually. And one of the Mennonite families that my dad works with had her and they have four kids and yes, she didn't really get along with their kids. So it was a, maybe your grandson will like him, but if not, I'm sure you guys know someone that will like her. So like find her a home. And nobody told me she was coming. My dad just said he had something just my son I was like oh okay and I was like is it something I need to feed and water and have a pen ready for it he's like no 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 it's not at all it was just because he already had a pen in mind and he was willing to feed and water it that night so that I didn't know what it was so the next morning I got to feed and there's a pony in the one pen and I'm like I thought the the thing for Aiden didn't require food and water and he's like well I fed it so it didn't go yeah okay. that that one day yeah and I just kind of laughed and I went to catch her and she wouldn't let me catch her and so then I tormented her for several weeks and finally she would just like walk up and let me catch her and she's super friendly she gets along with the goats and like six weeks later of kind of messing with her and just getting her to the point where she didn't think I was the enemy and all of a sudden she was like oh people are great they brush me they feed me they have snacks I'm ready so I bring my son out and I thought she was just gonna have heart failure the first time that he ran up to her squealing because it was a horse his size and then so we we kind of took a step back from him playing with her. And then all of a sudden when we tacked her up for him to ride instead of just seeing how she was with tack and stuff on. And he was so excited riding her. And then when he got off, he wanted to give her a kiss and he like leans in and gives her a kiss and she leans in for kisses and like they're kissing each other. And then he just reaches out to pet her and it's like swat, 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 right on the nose. And her eyes were just the size of saucers, but she didn't do anything to go anywhere. And that has pretty much been, she didn't teach him anything. Like the fact that he shouldn't hit things because it's scary did not register, but she puts up with it. Yeah. And so we're, we're still learning that like things are breakable and animals can be scared because she's just like, oh, he's going to whack me, but then he's going to give me treats and kisses. So it's okay. Yeah. I'll stay nearby. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <clears throat> So your ranch has been diversifying into kid cuddling experiences and an on-site Airbnb. How how's that been going? And what have you learned in that? So the Airbnb. Sorry, I have to admit that Arlene wrote these questions, and when I first saw kid cuddling, I was like, "People just pay to come hug her kid." Like, (laughs) all right. He he sounds very affectionate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's kissing goats. He's pretty much okay with it. No, so. 
we we started with the Airbnb and that was actually originally my parents' house that we were in the process of remodeling anyways. And I wasn't ready to move into it yet. So the theory was like, oh, we'll remove this. And then when I'm ready to move home, I'll have a house and I'll be ready to roll. And in the meantime, like you can cancel an Airbnb deal at any point, but you can't just kick out renters at any point. That seems really rude. So it was like an interim kind of thing. And then COVID happened and my ex and I separated and I was pregnant and I was like, I'm ready to move home, but I don't know that I can do this baby thing all by myself. And so I actually moved back in and they've been wonderful. And my son is so lucky to have them. So we are like this multi-generational household with all of these birds and goats and other things. And so the Airbnb is just kind of continued. And then the kid cuddles are something that I'm a dairy goat judge. And so I'm like licensed through the American Dairy Goat Association. And I occasionally travel really far out of the area for the most part do like California because I drive there the night before a judge and drive home at the end of the day. I really enjoy doing the youth shows. So I do a lot of the county fair shows and I think every three or four years, I judge the youth portion of the national show for the association. That's kind of, it's just what I enjoy doing. And so a couple of the other judges have dairies, one in Tennessee and one down in Santa Rosa here in California. And they do kid cuddles on the weekends and they used to do farm tours and they've just been like, all anyone wants to do is play with baby goats. So that's just what we're going to do. And so part of my goal was to kind of get into agritourism just because we're at this point right now with agriculture where our producers are drowning in regulations that are being made by people who don't actually understand the industry or sympathize with it. And the burnout rate is just extraordinary. And I talk to friends every week that I'm not sure if in six months they're still going to be doing this. And in six months they are, but they still don't sound like they're going to be definitely doing it in six more months. So to me, like any kind of agritourism we can do to get people on the farms and talk to them and answer their questions is what we need to be doing. And I'm small enough scale and still trying to get things back into a rhythm and a system for us that I could spend a couple hours on a Saturday with people. And so we've had groups of like two to 15 come to the ranch and they hang out with baby goats and about a half hour into petting them, cutting with them. They just put them down and watch them play and ask questions. And you pretty much hang out for an hour and just chat with people. And they, them do ask about regulations and milk quality and meat standards and processing and packaging and all those kinds of things. And it's, amazing how little the people who are interested enough in seeking out an opportunity like this actually know about the industries that they're learning more about. And so it's great seeing people just come out and cuddle baby goats. And a lot of them bring a three or a five-year-old who is just like absolutely enamored by them. But it's the best part is just sitting and chatting and answering questions and getting to share what I know about the industry with them. Yeah, that's a neat way of getting people to the farm, right? Where it's not, you know, like you said, like a tour is one thing, but if if they think they're just coming for kids cuddling, but, <laughs> you know, maybe that's for the kids, but then you have those people here who are obviously interested in animals and then can have those discussions and answer those questions, you know, that, that they obviously are going to come up with because they realize that they really don't know anything about goats beyond oh they're super cute Mm -hmm. and it's so we just do it in like the center of our main barn and our main barn is it was originally a hay barn and then my grandfather converted it into a foaling barn for horses 
and so it's got stalls with sliding doors down both sides and so we start with the baby goats and then eventually I'll pull out some of the big does that are milkers and they're always amazed at how big goats are I think because everybody just thinks of like little miniature goats in YouTube videos and so and they'll tell me how much they love cheese or all these products that they like and like their favorite creameries and it's great that they have that much of an interest but they'll they'll see the big goats and they're like oh my god that is the biggest goat I've ever seen and they're like oh well she's not fully grown yet she's just two I can bring out one of our big ones next and then you bring out like one of your biggest does and like, oh my god how much does that go weight and I'm like it's probably around 250 pounds and they look at her and they look at themselves and they look at her and they look at themselves and they're like that goat weighs as much as I do or that goat weighs more than I do and so just getting to see simple things like that that are just mind-blowing and then actually getting to talk about the more serious aspects it gives you good opportunities to go back and forth without things getting too heavy mm -hmm. and even beyond yeah. you know like sometimes people's only experience with animals is say like a petting zoo or something and obviously <laughs> you know they're choosing animals for portability their cute factor and, and how portable yeah. they are yeah yeah exactly so i mean you're not gonna pick your the biggest goats and bring them to to a petting zoo you're gonna have yeah kids or miniatures or mm -hmm. you know the smaller size scale exactly um, yeah. Have you, as someone who has an Airbnb, have you had other positive or negative interactions that you would want to tell people about if they're thinking about getting into that side of the agritourism? Because that's a little bit more permanent in terms yeah. of, you know, having someone on your property for even if they're only there for 24 hours, there's still, you know, potential yeah. for interaction and sharing your space and all those types of things. I would say there's like four types of Airbnb guests with relation to being on the farm. There are the ones that just don't want to be in town and you still don't see them. Like they roll in at night after dinner, they leave first thing in the morning and you might run into them once or twice when you're feeding and they're packing or something. Those are the easiest guests by far, obviously. Then you have the guests with small children who want to be somewhere where they don't have to worry about their kid running into the street or whether or not the front yard is fenced or anything else. And the ones that come back every year, like the next year they bring bikes and like they're super prepared for this rural space that they can be in. And they, they're the ones that you'll find out in the fields with the animals. And so like you only keep the ones that are friendly and good with toddlers down at that house because they don't ask or anything. You just like drive by and there's small children in the field and the goats are getting scratches and playing with them. And you're like, it's fine. You just have to accept that is life. Biosecurity is not a thing in the immediate space around your Airbnb. Right. And then you have the ones that are a little overly enthusiastic. And like we had guests two years ago, they went to Costco and they bought Costco bags of apples, which are like those 10 pound bags of apples. And they cut them all up and they fed them to the goats and the goats just loved them. And unfortunately there were only eight goats in that pen and they were that year's babies. They were like six months old. And I have treated goats for rhododendron toxicity and everything else. And I have never had goats as sick as those eight were after eating all of those bags of Costco apples. Oh my gosh. And I'm um, assuming they didn't ask if that was okay either. No, it was just, we went down to feed that night and like, they all had diarrhea. And it's like, oh my God. And so you get out the charcoal and you're like, they must've eaten something. And I'm sure mm -hmm. something the guests gave, cause it's uniform. It's the whole pen. Yeah, so you're giving them all charcoal the and then the next morning they're like dehydrated and a week and they don't want to eat and it's like okay we're hauling these all back to the house we're gonna put them in individual pens we're gonna like we're gonna really get these ones in the type unit and then you chat with the guests to find out if they gave them anything and they're like oh 
they just love the apples and they are so excited because they feel like they just did this really nice thing. We have guidelines and like information out for our guests that just because something can be safe, anything that they aren't used to eating or in abundance can make them sick. And most of them are pretty respectful of that now, Mm -hmm. but that was a learning experience. And occasionally you will get the guests that I think intentionally just booked your listing so that they can talk to you and tell you why they're vegan and say like one in five of those actually end up being really fun conversations mm-hmm. because they've never been around a farm where like the animals were out and they don't realize that we actually eat our goats. I love goat meat. It's delicious. And I don't name anything that I eat because I'm not... I get too attached, but like they're all Bubba if they're going to go in the freezer. And I have had so many Bubba's over the last couple decades and they'll actually listen and talk and realize that you care about the animals and you're still eating them. And that's okay. And those are fun conversations. The other ones, not so much, but I would say third year with Airbnb and I can picture every guest that I had a negative interaction with and there's probably like nine or ten of them total I hadn't thought about that side of it about things actually (laughs) about people actually intentionally engaging with your site as a you know you know almost trying to convince you that farming yeah yeah they're trying to they're trying to educate you it's on what you're doing the one conversation that really stands out I had a lady telling me that small family farms like ours were totally okay and like she fully supported those and at the time I just kitted out a bunch of the meat goats and I was actively breeding dairy goats and so all those were at the main ranch where I could deal with them like every chance I could be outside and I only had like eight goats down at the Airbnb between the three fields and it was more just like these are the eight I don't need right now and they can spread out and be cute and I was like, oh, hun, these are my retired ones. She's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, those two are going on 15. And I'm a little nervous to have them down here because like the clock is ticking, but they're really sweet and they love the attention. So it's great for them to be here. And those two had quads the last few years and just really need a year off so that they can kind of recoup. And those two are my old show goats that like every 4-H kid has borrowed in the last 10 years. And they just like the attention and they're just hanging out. Just like, well, so I was like, none of these are production animals and like small farms like ours, we all have day jobs. There's three of us. We're partners. We did this together, but we all have a job in town in order to make it work. This is not a functional livelihood that can support a family, let alone a multi-generational one or multiple branches of a family. And a true functional family farm has to be large enough to do that. And she kind of thought about it and she's like, well, I mean, how many goats would you have to have to support multiple branches of a family? And I was like, well, what kind of quality of life do you want these branches of the family to have? And, and the quality of life for the goats too. <laughs> yeah, that too. But, and she just looks at me and she's like, well, and they were driving nice cars. There was a Tesla and a BMW. Right. Yeah. And I was like, we're to support multiple branches of the family. You're going to be driving the same three vehicles which is just one per family, which is not realistic when you live rurally. For the next 30 years, trying to raise 500 to 2,000 animals a year and pretty much all living in the house. If you want to like actually take care of all your animals and do everything. And she thought about it and she's like, well, that's not a small family farm. And he's like, no, 
no, that would be the definition of a family farm. Yeah, that's that's right. It's a family and it's a farm. Yeah. And so people are just so disconnected that every chance you can get to get ones that are positively interested in learning more is amazing because then they can go back and talk to other people. And I'd say the vast majority of Airbnb guests fall into that category. Rachel, how often do you get other farmers as Airbnb guests? I know we went up to a tractor show in Minnesota last year. My husband goes, oh, I got us an Airbnb. It looks really nice. It's on a sheep farm. I'm like, hon, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to listen to sheep all day, I could stay home. Like, I, I don't, would I don't say that five, six hours. <laughs> like, all right. We have three Nigerians, which are a miniature breed of dairy goat. And like, those are the types of farmers that we get. We, sure, we yeah. don't get actual production farmers at least not that I've ever talked to or met and if I was booking an Airbnb sick and you're going to feel obligated to like be out checking on this sick animal for them because you're sleeping right outside of where it's staying and like that is just my luck (laughs) yeah so as a farming and ranching and parenting podcast one of our goals Mm -hmm. is to talk to other farm farm parents about the joys and like we've heard some of that already (laughs) And what do you enjoy about the age and stage that he's at right now? He, so he loves the animals, which is a blast. Like that's, that's what I love about the farm is I love the critters and I love just being out and like wandering and looking at things. And he is totally down to mosey and go on an adventure with me anytime I want. I do tend to have to carry him back from them, but he's good for the getting there part. And I am not at all mechanically inclined on it, but it wouldn't go smoothly. And... I have a tendency to break things like weed eaters and chainsaws. And I can I can start the four-wheeler. That one I'm good with. The four-wheeler I, I've got under control. Otherwise, zero mechanically inclined. And he is like everything with a motor and an engine, he's just mesmerized by. And if you leave tools out, screwdrivers, wrenches, any of that kind of stuff, he will find something. Like if you leave a Phillips head screwdriver out, he will wander around until he finds something with a Phillips head on it and tries to unscrew it. And you're like, hey, bud, that's, you're very smart. You're doing great, but we're actually using that right now. And that screw needs to stay where it is. And then yeah, we'd like to go find something. Yeah. So he's really good with tools. And I, I'm not really sure how to push that the right direction or anything, but we're, we play with things and he occasionally takes apart broken stuff and maybe someday he'll be able to put it back together. So it works, which should mean make my old age so much more pleasant so I think you're not supposed to say but as a farm parent we're all thinking it yeah um, for sure. it is pretty nice when they get to a stage where they can they can do some chores without too much supervision yeah and difficulties nothing happens on a schedule that you want it to anymore like before having a kid you could sit down and say okay this month I'm going to knock out these four projects plus what we typically do that month and like for and tonight after work I'm gonna have a two-hour window that I can do x y and z in and that two-hour window no longer exists like that two-hour longer it takes to do chores with his assistance and enthusiasm um because it it requires at least one trip up onto the tractor and back down and gotta walk across the bridge at least twice and that pony Kiss needs kisses that and <laughs> yeah. that pen has to be fed twice because he wants to go play with them and yeah so I the biggest challenge is the schedule part of it and with livestock probably with equipment also in farming the general terror that he's going to hurt himself 
Mm-hmm. I didn't understand how how bad that was going to be, but like we're right on the creek, and it's not a deep creek by any means. But the bridge that you drive across to get to our barn and our house, it's like a fifteen foot drop, and he just now figured out how to duck between boards on fences and stuff. It's like nothing around the creek is truly toddler proofed. Like it's goat proofed. So a hundred pound goat can't get through it, but a baby goat could because I don't put babies right on the creek. And it's, oh my gosh, the last couple of months, I'm just like, okay, I need toddler proof that. And my mom and dad go, honey, in a couple of months, you'll just be able to tell him that that by the time you had all of this toddler proofed, he won't really need it. And I'm like, are you sure about that? Because so I'm we have to get sure. to that point. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's all the new projects because you're like, oh, I'm going to fix this fence and do that. And you're like, nope, we have to go childproof this fence because he keeps trying to climb into the buck pen. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst part. The terror. Maybe that's just me. No, no that's not. That's not. Just okay. <laughs> and especially, you know, I find that, that kids raised around animals and tractors and all those types of things, they get that confidence of thinking, <laughs> Yeah, I'm fine. I'm invincible. I can kiss that goat, whether it weighs more than him or not. Mm -hmm. You know, like they get into that mode of this is just the way it is and nothing will ever hurt me until, yeah, until it does. Yeah, and it's scary. With the dairy goats, I have those Nubians and the Nubians are really sweet. Like I've never seen them be aggressive towards a child or a person, any of them. And some of the La Manchas really don't like dogs and children, but the Nubians are just like, do, 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 people, dogs, whatever but they really like their routines. And so like, if I lead one too far past where we milk and like take it outside of the barn, the moment you let go of it, it just makes a beeline back to the barn. And he had gotten in this super confident, like I can lead the goats around mentality because he can reach their collars and he can walk. And most of them are pretty laid back and chill. And if they're out getting milked every day, they're out getting milked every day. Yeah. And they, they'll and let him lead. And he thinks exactly. He's, he's so he control. thinks he's just got it under control. And I pulled out one of the big Nubians that's not in milk this year. And I was like, this might make me a terrible mom, but the floor of this barn is dirt and like it's sand. He'll be fine. And I walked up to the front of the barn and he ran over to grab her collar and she took like two steps with him. And then she just like went for it and he hit the dirt and she ran away. And like, he let go of her collar and he just looked at me with this heartbroken look on his face I was like, bud, you're okay, but you can't lead all of them. And he hasn't actually run up to grab collars since then. So it seemed like a good lesson with a goat that I knew wasn't going to hurt him. Yeah. But it's like picking and choosing. It feels weird, right? That you just need to shake confidence a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Just Just bring them down a notch so that they don't get hurt badly, (laughs) but they just get a little scared. A a little lesson here for you. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any advice or experience with other single parents? Is that something that you are willing to talk with us about a little bit? Yeah, totally. Embrace the help. Mm-hmm. Like there, that pretty much summarizes everything. I didn't want to be living at home. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I've got everything almost ready. Like by the time he's six months old, I'll be ready for us to move out and like go for it. And then like, I'm sitting out talking to my parents and I'm like, you know, honey, we don't mind. And I was like, well, that's, that's fine. But I moved out and went to college when I was 16 and now I'm in my thirties. And it's just, it's, it's odd living with your parents again. And 
my mom was like, but honey, when you want to go take a shower in peace, you can do it this way. You don't have Mm -hmm. to be like, Hey, can I drop him off after work so that I can shower without him banging on the door or playing with his toys around my feet while I do it. And then there are the friends who are like, okay, so we're going to do X, Y, and Z for this weekend. And it's going to be a girl's weekend. And we're going to have so much fun. And you're going to bring Aiden. And you have this immediate thought of going on a weekend with your friends, with your six-month-old, one-year-old, however old he is in tow. And you're just like, oh, God, this is going to be such an exhausting weekend. And, you know, you plan it eight months out because all of you have animals. And, like, you have to pick a weekend that all of you can leave. And you get there. And they're like, hand me the child he doesn't even really know you like we haven't seen you since that goat show in June and they're like don't care if he cries we'll give him back but I'm sure he'll be fine and at the end of the weekend you realize that you've basically held your child for the poopy diaper changes and the middle of the night wake-ups and the rest of the weekend everyone else has played with them and they all had fun playing with your kid whereas you would have been like stressed out trying not to disturb them or like I don't know those types of things mm-hmm. and the hand-me-down clothes. Oh my God. Every time somebody has a child that is a little bit older than yours, that is like, Hey, do you want this? Always say yes. Because the moment that you think you finally have everything your kid needs, they grow. And those like even even someone's clothes. Yeah. And even (laughs) someone's stained holy clothes are the exactly the kind that a farm parent wants, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. I have some new barn clothes that Mm -hmm. I don't need to worry about that I'm just gonna throw on and are gonna get more destroyed. But yeah. Yeah. I I'm a little bit OCD. I hang my kids' clothes in his closet by like what length the sleeve the shirt has and I color code them and anyways. Um I never outgrew that anyway, but people like give you the giant trash bags of clothes and you just wash it all. And then you throw it all in your bed and you sort it by size and you put it in your closet by size. And as soon as they outgrow the 12 month ones, you're like, that's the 18 month bag. There has to be something in there that he can wear in the barn today. And it works and it fits. And it's amazing. Even the shoes are pretty much usable most of the time. Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. the number of rub- the number of pairs of rubber boots, even that I've gotten th- as hand me downs, that usually work. I mean, sometimes you find out they've got a hole in them, but even if they can keep manure out for a little while, then it's not a lost <laughs> cause. Yeah, I feel like now that the kids are four and five, their shoes are just now getting to the point where they're worn out by the time they're outgrown. Because okay. before that, like they're growing so fast and they're not walking. Like, Mm-mm. you know, those shoes for one-year-olds, it's not like they're hiking 10 miles a day and those, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. they've been worn, but. Yeah, no. they're not running around the playground playing tag and climbing yeah. up and down haystacks and yeah. all that yeah, kind like of you stuff. Said, like you said, you go on a wander, but you have to carry them half the way anyway. So yeah. <laughs> the shoes get break. Yep. I feel like the thing I did not anticipate too is how highly washability would rank in mm-hmm. shoe selection like my kids are probably never going to have leather shoes because they're not washable they're no just like it's there's no point like, that's the one thing I discovered this bag I just opened so I just started the 2t bag and there were these sweatshirts in it that are like that nike dry fit material so they're like smooth satiny sweatshirts instead of like mm-hmm. yeah. cottony absorbent ones when he wants to play in the hay, because my son loves to pull flakes of hay off the bales for me, and he just ends up green from head to toe, it just dusts off. Like you can go straight from the barn and feeding 
to daycare and all I used to do is change the pants and the people at daycare never know he was in the barn that morning. Not that I suggest doing that because, you know, there are other children in daycare, but like, just for an example, you could do yeah. that with the same sweatshirt. And it's just to like, like a, a fleece <laughs> where everything, yeah, where everything just is like Velcro. Yeah. Oh, I had one really cute fleece jacket from it's orange and has like little fox ears. And I thought it was the cutest thing. And we wore it to the park one day and the grass just like suction to it and he's never worn it again I don't think we'll ever have another fleece one either maybe yeah. at least not for a decade or so yeah they, they must be for clean cleaner places yeah than, than where you're living <laughs> oh I got the girl child a beautiful fuzzy fleecy scarf this year and the first day she wore it to school she rolled around in a leaf pile and that was the last <laughs> day she wore it because it's got little crunched up bits of leaves all through it <laughs> yeah Perfect. Um, I got is stuff she, to do. I was gonna say, is she past the point where she thinks it's like a challenge to pick the leaf out of the scarf? Yeah, she's my kid. Okay. Um, she doesn't have the patience for that. Okay. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. mine, like, after we wore that fleecy jacket to the park, he was little then. He was like 12 months old and had some friends in town. And he just sat down with it on the floor and I don't even know why, but he like picked all the crunchy pieces out of it. We've still never worn it again, but it kept him entertained for at least 45 minutes. Yeah. Worked on that pincer grasp. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about this morning, Rachel, is that until your kids are old enough to be anywhere near equipment, you know, where it becomes mm -hmm. a safety hazard if their clothes are too big. Yeah. I realized I bought my kids shore coats two winters ago now, mm -hmm. I think. They still fit because I bought them a size too big. I mean, they were like really big when we got yeah. them. So that's my other tip, you know. Okay. Rain boots, chore coats, whatever. Like until it's to the point that they might get caught in something and be unsafe. And then you should absolutely, you know, make sure that your kids are dressed safely. But until then, um, maybe I'm a terrible mom, but they trip no, a little more often all. in rain boots that are too big, which honestly kind of slows them down and makes them easier to keep up with. So yeah, I could see that. Whatever. <laughs> I would be good with that. <laughs> they get more agile that way. Mine definitely, I got him these rain bring fives right now, like the toddler fives. And I think he was kind of between like threes and fours when I bought them, but they didn't make rain boots that small. And so I was just like, all right, bud, two pairs of socks and you are off and rolling. And right yeah. now he's into sixes and I should probably get boots and into like sevens, but they're so much bigger than these ones. And his toe isn't quite to the end. So I'm really stretching these ones out for now. We'll see how long it lasts. I don't know how warm you guys get, but we're like sweatshirts and rain boots year round here. There's those sunny points in the day where you can take the sweatshirt off, but otherwise it is just like, hoodies and boots all the time well i'm in canada so we have either we've got the full okay we are we're pretty mild we're like we wear the coats someday i'll get him one of the little carhartt work coats because they wash and wear forever mm -hmm. um but we're pretty much like coats in the winter hoodies all the time a chunk like you'll get a couple weeks here and there where everything is dry enough that you could wear tennis shoes or like regular boots. And then we get rain for three or four days and then we're back in rain boots again. Right. Um, yeah. There's lots of moisture all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, what's your ranch? What do you see 
if you were to look into the future, what would you like things to look like where you are? My current goals, I, I want to really increase our beef and army goat projects. We're still working on fixing fencing, but my goal is to do rotational grazing across all 300 acres, even the pretty steep sections. So can get through them just fine. It's just us that don't really enjoy them. And rotating the goats through first to kind of clear all the weeds in the brush. The goats aren't good grazers. They're really browsers. So they'll eat the grass down to the number of pairs we can have for both species and then be finishing them out on the ranch. So um, would love to do mostly grass-fed, single facility, kind of niche market and kind of hit that foodie market that we have in California and Oregon. It's not the most efficient and it's not representative of those industries as a whole, but for the scale and size that we are, I think that would be kind of our best opportunity. Sure. I didn't ask before, but are you currently doing direct sales or how are you marketing your... We are not. So I, the meat goats, I'm not breeding the entire herd every year. My, Mm -hmm. my current issue with the meat goats is mine like to have quads every year and they can really only successfully raise and finish out two per doe. Otherwise the doe just gets too run down or the kids are pretty scrawny. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we have all these bottle babies every year and I'm still trying to figure out how I can get fewer kids per doe and everyone will tell you that it's genetic or it's feed based or you know if you're synchronizing that you're using too many hormones whatever and I taught goat production at UC Davis I'm familiar with all of that information and I I know in theory how to do it every time I'm still averaging like 3.8 kids per doe and so I just keep getting inundated with bottle babies on the meat goat. For kid cuddling, but not yes. for your ultimate Not production for production, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I have the dairy goats and they've been doing a wonderful job of feeding those extra meat goat babies until they have homes or they're weaned and can go out with everybody else. But yeah, that has been, it's been a problem. People don't see it mm-hmm. as a problem. And then you're like, they go, oh, so what was your, what's your kid rate for does? And I'm like, oh, I averaged 3.9 this year, which was down 0.05 from the year. The beef, I'm just trying to get the fencing better so we can do better rotational grazing. And I'm trying to clear more acreage so that they have access to more. We're pretty much on like 70 acres with the beef right now because the rest is so overgrown. Mm-hmm. And the, can they so, graze all year round where you are? Yeah. yeah. Um, we have, we're in a weird box canyon. So like when we look out the front window of the house, there's a giant sandstone bluff up in front of us. And then our property goes up the canyon and up into the hills behind us and the hills behind us are all accessible. And so we have the stream that's like the watershed for town goes right through the middle of our property when we have springs that run year round. So like we don't have a well on the property. Um, We just have spring water, which we're very fortunate to have. But so everywhere that's near a spring stays pretty green and wet all year. And then we can irrigate off of one of the springs just runs constantly and we can use it to irrigate two of our main fields. All right. So Rachel, we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at County Fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up. The real ones is def- would definitely be the dairy goat show. Like I can't have a commercial dairy because we are in the watershed for town and we'd never meet water quality restrictions, but they're like my heart and soul. And I just love being out and dealing with them every day. So the real goats, the made up one would definitely have to be like 
biggest enabler for small children. <laughs> um, when it comes to livestock? Yes. Yeah. I've definitely had kids come out to buy a 4-H Project Goat and bring a younger sibling that was like five or six with them and been like, well, if you really, really love that one, you can take it home with you as long as your mommy says yes. And they like <laughs> give their mom those and then... You, you get the want picture one to be lonely. No. And it's always like something that's only five or six days old. And you get the picture on the drive home of the small child in the car seat holding their baby goat because they refuse to let go of it. Oh, and those are my favorite. That's like, yeah. yeah, probably not appreciated by the parents. I occasionally get updates like eight years later of this goat that mom and dad still have because they can't get rid of it. Yeah, and the um, kids have moved on and have other interests. But yes, the, the, yeah. The goat, has, the goat has to stay. The goat has to stay. I get that. I have a 4-H rabbit in my house. So uh, Is it potty trained? I've heard you can do that with rabbits. So so we also have a Jack Russell. So, so the, the rabbit isn't a big, it's actually a big, like the biggest size of dog kennel that you can have. So okay. it's, it's out some of the time, but it is crazy and it has a litter box. So it's, it's somewhat trained, yeah, in that it goes into the litter box within the crate. Okay. And then, then it has an outdoor run as well, but nice. yeah. 4-H projects take on a life of their own. My, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but we have Holsteins, but this year my daughter wanted to show Jersey. So it's supposed to be on loan. That was the condition. Um, mm -hmm. And she has to work for the person that we borrowed it from at a few shows this summer. But I just don't know what the end of the 4-H season is going to look like when this <laughs> has to go. <laughs> it's supposed to go back home. So we'll cross um. that bridge when we come to it, but. I, I did the Jersey heifer thing when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Some friends of ours had an out of season one because not all the dairies up here calf year round and they didn't. And so they had a random October calf born and they're like, we just had this Jersey heifer calf and do you guys want it? And it's like, I've never raised a dairy cow. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And she lived in the barn like next to the milk stands and like we made her a little pen and she was halter broke when she was like three days old and you could pick her feet up like she was a horse to like rest them and get them ready for showmanship and paint them and clean them and yeah. she backed off the halter and like it was just this bomb proof cow and there were two issues with that one when she went to a real dairy when she calved she frequently clogged up the process of getting in and out of the milk parlor because she wanted to hang out with the people <laughs> yeah and today <laughs> and then when she came home because they're like no she can't stay she has to go back and I put her out with my beef cows she didn't herd from field to field and would you have to lead her just follow you wherever you went and like right. with our cows I don't know if other people's are like this but you just open the gate and you call them and they think you have food and they just run through the gate into the next field and she would already be with you and she'd just stand there and like you'd try to herd her through the gate and she'd walk back around the gate with you and you just be like, pumpkin you have to go in the field <laughs> yeah. and she had no concept at all of like going with the other cows she just wanted to hang out with you and then her calf did the same thing and yeah it was it was fun so don't let your daughter spoil her calf too much because yeah. then they won't want it back I think <laughs> The, the, the one good thing is that the, the person that she's borrowing it from is a show herd as well. So she, okay. she knows what she's dealing with. But I will say, <laughs> I think all most of our worst milkers have been 4-H calves <laughs> just okay. because of those same things, right? Like they're trying yeah. to grab, grab hair or 
or yeah, they, they, they're so used to attention that yeah, they end up being pests, <laughs> but they're the pretty ones that have to stay around. Right. Mm-hmm. Usually. Yeah. So yeah. I think we'll go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. We've registered okay. for an online platform called SpeakPipe where you could leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we can play them on the show. So go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you. So Katie, what are you going to cuss and discuss this week? Bedtimes. Yours I, or the kids? Yes. yes. I hadn't even so thought about that part. No, I feel like there's this parental ideal that we're all supposed to like have very soft lighting at bedtime and, you know, sing three songs accompanied on our guitars and then, you know, read two stories and then talk about how much we all love each other. And then our kids will immediately pass out exactly at eight o'clock or whatever time, you know, and they'll be freshly bathed and in matching jammies and, you know, here it is nine o'clock last night. We're just eating dinner because we got busy farming and it was a beautiful night and we were doing stuff. And, you know, so my kids go to bed covered in whatever, you know, I try and scrub the worst of it off their faces and hands before they go to bed. But, you know, the boy child is frequently wearing just undies to bed or whatever, you know, and the girl child really likes to sleep in her clothes. I don't know why. And, you know, we're still at the point where everybody's just like all four of us pass out on the couch. And then at some point, enough of us wake up to haul the rest of us up to bed. And hopefully they stay there for at least part of the night. And it's just, I don't feel like I'm getting what I was promised. (laughs) And it feels embarrassing to be like I'm a parent whose bedtime is a total shit show because I love sleep more than almost anything else and the fact that my bedtime is also a shit show just makes me really sad but on the upside I bought new sheets for our bed the other day because I realized that we only had flannel sheets and it was 90 degrees and I was like you know what I need to do something about this yeah it's, t- it's time to move on to the flannel. <laughs> yeah and I woke up and our four-year-old boy child was in bed with me and he goes, mommy, you make these sheets? I like these <laughs> sheets, mommy. These are my favorite. And I said, no, buddy, I got them at the store, but I made the, you know, I put them on the bed. He goes, dad, a good job, mommy. You're the best. <laughs> oh, good work, God. mommy. I'm proud of you. And I was like, you know, damn, buddy, like I might be screwing up a lot of things, but at least my four-year-old appreciates my bed making skills. See, you're doing something right. It, it all came around in the end. Yeah. Bedtime hey, is lovely. I think you're doing everything right for the record. Cause that sounds just like bedtime at my house. And I, I think you're rocking it. See, and this is why we need things like this show to help reset expectations yeah. of what farm parenting looks like. Yes. Yeah. The- you know, when your kid is little and you have those doctor's appointments, like every two or three months for something. And uh-huh. yeah, we have a bedtime routine. And be like, oh, okay, what time does he fall asleep? And I'd be like, oh, around like 8.30 or nine. And they give you this horrified look because small children should be asleep long before that. And I'm like, well, what's your bedtime routine? And I was like, oh, we go out to the barn. We turn on the milk machines. He lays down in the stroller. And by the time I'm done with the second goat, he is asleep. And then we're done milking. I carry him back in the house and I lay him down in bed. And they just give you this look of horror. And it sounds like a solid routine. I mean, goats like routine, I mean, kids like routine. It was amazing until he didn't fall asleep when the machines were on anymore. 
but now we do the you know dinner at nine and it's just that's farm life yeah i have a seven-year-old who now even if he sometimes goes to bed in pajamas often by the third or fourth or fifth time he comes out of his bedroom to tell me something is wearing a completely (laughs) different outfit so it doesn't matter even if he's had a bath and put pajamas on then sometimes he's like tomorrow is a theme day and i already picked out my outfit it's like all right can you eventually go to sleep because i'm tired (laughs) because i get many hours before he does yeah that is the tough part. Your kid wants to hang out and like play with you and do stuff with you at night. And you just need them to go to bed so you can get a few things done so you can go to bed. Mm-hmm. Because they to sleep way later than you in the morning. Yeah, and they right. just don't, they don't want to miss anything. Yeah. So Rachel, what do you have to cuss and discuss? I was good with the bedtime thing. We've been fighting bedtime a lot. He does not want to go to bed anymore. It was great when you could do the milking machine thing. Now yeah, it's we... Like, it's like the white noise. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the pediatrician is going to recommend white noise anyway. So, I mean, it was just <laughs> the farm version. They just... I mean, I'm in a really rural area. And the look, the look of judgment that you get from, like, doctors and teachers and, like, the daycare people and everything else. They're like, so your child showed up today in rubber boots. And it's like, that's all he wanted to put on this morning when we're leaving the house. And we were already late because a goat kidded this morning and I just needed to get him in the car. Well, those rubber boots weren't exactly clean. It's like, well, I put them in his shoebox by the door. He didn't wear them inside. Yeah. And you, they're like, you have indoor shoes, right? I do. I follow right. that rule. Yeah. And they're like, well, but then he wanted to wear them to go outside and play. And we had to tell him no, because rubber boots are dirty. I'm like, <laughs> he's like a year old. He can barely walk. How dirty are they really? Yeah. And it's, it's outside. I think outside, that's where the dirt's allowed to be, right? Mm-hmm. If they have yep. an issue with it in the daycare. Yeah. And then when you go to the pediatricians and they give you like the checklist for their developmental stuff, and there's always the random safety questions thrown in there. Like, do you carry hot liquids and your child at the same time? And those types of ones. And I checked yes on that once. And the doctor just looked at me and she's like, what do you carry? I was like a coffee cup. Do you not drink caffeine? And she's like, how do you carry a coffee cup and your kid at the same time? I was like, they make these great things called travel mugs and I live with them. <laughs> How do you not carry coffee? And, I mean, like, <laughs> if you have a child under two, <laughs> those things yeah. kind of have to go together some of the time. Yeah. And then they want to like quiz you on your proofing and make sure that you're not a negligent parent. I'm like, I promise I do love my kid. Do the best it can. We, we don't live in town. There's not like a nice little fence around a perfectly level grass yard there's gravel there's things the other day he tripped and ate it on the stand for our baby goat milk bucket and like you set the bucket on it go from pen to pen they all drink their milk at the same time it's great and he was running across the barn and we have a big livestock guardian dog and it's been raining so the goats have been coming in so he's loose and he just loves my kid, but he has no concept of the fact that like his back end is not is attached to his front end. And he sees my kid running and he immediately ducks across the barn and my kid just eats it on his butt, falls right into the baby goat <laughs> stand, slices across his eyeball on the edge oh, of the no. bucket stand. We had the pediatrician visit like the next day. She's like, so your child has a black eye. Yes, yes, he does. I feel oh, like you see toddlers me. often. Yeah. 
my 14 year old will not be happy that I shared this, but you mentioned black guy. <laughs> he, the other day, he and his brother, we had this like little Bluetooth speaker that has a suction cup on the bottom mm-hmm. and they were experimenting with, you know, like sticking it on their skin and forehead and whatever. So he stuck it on his eye and hot tip, if you put a suction cup on your eye, it gives you a black eye. <laughs> so I got home from being out somewhere and I was like, dude, why do you have a black eye? And he just kind of smirked. And he was like, a suction cup. <laughs> so for, for this whole week, he's had like a black eye and his eye is like all bloodshot. Like the white of his eye is gone bloodshot too. He stuck a suction cup on it. So there's a not parenting, not, not farm related necessarily, but no suction yeah. cup on the eyeball. It's a bad one. So Although the question is, did he make up a different story to tell his friends for how he got the black eye or did he just roll with it and own <laughs> the suction cup thing? I think he probably owned it. I don't think okay. he's too, too worried about it. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing though when he told me. Yeah, these sorts of things make me appreciate our pediatrician because our doctor was like, she went through the gun safety checklist, which I do think is really important. And then she was <laughs> like, have your kids ever eaten a vegetable? And I was like, well, yeah. And she goes, Cool. Uh, you know, it basically boiled <laughs> down to have they ever eaten a vegetable and it would probably be a good idea to take some video footage of how they act so that the next time they go to the emergency room and they see that they're like covered in bruises and scratches and things that you have some like mm-hmm. evidence for why they're like this. <laughs> that this is, this is normal. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> upside, you know, years of infertility and two complex pregnancies at a small town hospital everybody knows our family so they're not too worried about it at this point so Arlene what do you have to cuss and discuss I guess I'm going to go on the same line as bedtimes but I'm at a slightly different stage although maybe not so like I said my youngest wants to just keep coming back out to to tell me things and talk about life he doesn't want to talk when he gets home from school for sure but by about bedtime he's warmed up and wants to tell me everything but the other part of bedtime as your kids get older is that then they want to start and can actually stay up later than you but then as a parent you kind of feel like you should make sure they go to bed before you go to bed so sometimes it's a bit of a competition between my husband and i about like okay you go to bed i'll stay up (laughs) but but yeah, I would just like them to go to sleep so that I can go to sleep because they don't even get up and milk and I do. So, but especially on a weekend, yeah. I mean, they don't need to go to bed at 930, but I would like to. Yeah. So kids, teens. Oh, I will asleep. say, I will say Arlene. So the girl child has started talking in her sleep. I mean, I guess it's mm-hmm. talking in her sleep because she'll sit up from a dead sleep and start talking. The other night she sat up and was complaining about one of her little friends from school isn't her friend anymore because he said that there's not a letter L in her name and there is. Mm-hmm. And he said that L is his letter and it's not. And then yesterday, brother fell asleep in daddy's lap and she fell asleep in my lap and she sat up and she goes, brother bit me. And I was like, when? She goes, now. Like he's... <laughs> all right <laughs> sure all right he did. sure i'm sure he did <laughs> back to sleep kid <laughs> yeah so thank you so much rachel for joining us on the podcast today if people yeah. are looking to connect with you online or find more out about your ranch or kid cuddling or any of those types of things where can they find you francis is the easiest and it has links to our facebook page and everything else 
So. Sounds fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was nice meeting you. It was nice to meet you guys too. I had a really great hour and a half. It's been fun. Yeah, that flew by. Yeah. Oh, All right. Have a great day, you guys. Bye. Thank okay. you. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language. And on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.